This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Good evening and welcome to Reimagined Radio. We are streaming live tonight from the historic Kiggins Theater in downtown Vancouver, Washington, USA, courtesy of KXRW, Vancouver's independent radio station. Whether you are here in the audience or there in your homes, you are very welcome and we thank you for joining us. We encourage you to participate in tonight's performance through social media. Use the hashtag ReimaginedRadio and share your thoughts about our performance on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today, everywhere reached by radio broadcast, it is World Audio Drama Day, created in 2013 to celebrate the pleasures of this amazing art form that we call radio. It is a fine night for our radio drama in Vancouver. It's clear and crisp with a ground fog moving up Main Street from the direction of the Columbia River. We can hear prolonged hooting sounds coming from that direction, perhaps the horns of passing riverboat traffic. Surely it has nothing to do with reports earlier this evening of a huge flaming object believed to be a meteorite falling on a farm just north of here. I'm John Barber, producer, dramaturge, and sometimes director of Reimagined Radio, a project to provide you with live reinterpretations of classic radio dramas. Tonight, we begin our seventh season with Halloween Fright Night, a collage of the best bits from five frightening and classic radio dramas you may remember. We'll turn down the lights now so you won't be distracted from listening. And we urge you calmly and sincerely that should you at any time tonight during the excitement of these imaginative radio dramas feel the need to scream during our performance, do so. Our first act is sampled from The Locked Room Mystery, an episode of the Lights Out radio drama series and written by Willis Cooper. In our reimagined version, you will hear Derek Nolan as Chase, a mystery writer, Larry Taylor as Kerrigan, a character in Chase's murder mystery novel, Audrey Bacon as Taylor, a police detective, and Ian Handley as Stewart, another police detective. It's no good. I'm stumped. I don't know how to kill the guy. I've got to get something, some way for Kerrigan to murder Devereaux so there can be bloodstains. 
There's no gun or knife in the room, not even a pen. Devereux writes everything in pencil in a bare room, just like this one. Only a table and a chair. No weapon of any kind. This guy Devereux is an odd sort of bird. His windows are nailed down in his writing room. He's a nut on soundproofing. Has to concentrate, he says. Uh, I'm Sam Chase, famous mystery writer. Why can't I think of anything? Good evening. <laughs> uh, who, who, who are you? <laughs> who are you? How did you get in here? The doors were locked. My name is... Uh, well, it doesn't matter. What seems to be wrong? How can I help you, Mr. Chase? Hmm, well... I'm sorry, mister. I'm trying to finish a mystery story that I promised a publisher a week ago, so if you... And you're having some difficulty in getting rid of one of your characters. Well, if you'd read me what you have there in your typewriter. Well, I... Who the devil... I... All right. Listen. <clears throat> a footstep sounded in the stillness of the empty room. Devereux turned. Good evening, said a suave voice. Who... Who are you? demanded Devereux. You don't remember me, asked the suave voice mockingly. You can't be. Harvey Kerrigan, gasped Devereux. The other laughed. I am Harvey Kerrigan, in the flesh, he said. Devereux reached for the telephone. I wouldn't touch that if I were you, warned the man who called himself Kerrigan. Devereux noticed that his adversary was weaponless. And that's all. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Look here now, I'm going to call... Yeah, I wouldn't touch that phone if I were you. What? You... What do you mean? Who are you? My name, Mr. Chase, is Harvey Kerrigan. And perhaps I can help you with your book. I'll certainly appreciate it. Now, you had this Kerrigan come up to this fellow's room. Devereux's room, yes. Without any weapons at all? That's right. Exactly the same way I came. I haven't any weapons. Well, I, I'm glad. How do you want Devereux killed? He has to be killed some way so there'll be lots of blood. I see. There isn't a paper knife on your desk? No, no on Devereux's. As a matter of fact, I made Devereux a good deal like myself. I like to work in this room with the windows nailed down tight so I can't hear any of the traffic noises from the street below. I use myself as a model for the chap. Well, how does anyone get in here? Well, all the doors of this room have spring locks on them, which can be opened only by pressure of this button on my desk. Knock on the door, and I'll press the button. But in the story, there was nobody else in the writing room when Devereux was killed. Hmm. Well, you made it rather hard on yourself, didn't you? Uh, I'm beginning to believe I made it impossible. How do you picture Devereux, Mr. Chase? Well, a great deal like myself, I'm afraid. Using myself as a model for the character, I couldn't help writing a lot of myself into him. And Devereux's supposed to be writing a mystery novel too, isn't he? Yes. Well, you sit there at your typewriter and write. Pretend you're Devereux. And we'll try a little dialogue as Kerrigan and Devereux. By George! I never thought of that, Mr. Kerrigan. Maybe it'll work. All right. Imagine that I've just come in... <laughs> I mean... Kerrigan has just come in, as you've written it. You got to the point where you reached for the telephone. Now, ready? Got your lines? Go ahead. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. And why not? 
Because I'll kill you if you do, Devereaux. How did you get in here? The door was locked. <laughs> A strip of cardboard between the door and the frame, my dear chap, does wonders. Even with your electrically controlled locks. Now, have you forgotten a few facts? What facts? Have you forgotten how I went to prison in your place 15 years ago? You... you were guilty. I wasn't. <laughs> you were as guilty as I. And for the 15 years I suffered in prison, you're going to pay. What... what are you going to do? Devereaux, I'm going to torture you as I was tortured. I'm going to see you die a thousand deaths in anticipation before I bestow on you the priceless gift of death that you beg for. I'm going to kill you, Devereaux. You're not frightening me at all, Kerrigan. Oh, I'm going to do much more than frighten you, my friend. I doubt that. You'll beg and scream for death before I'm done with you. I've 15 years of hell to extract from you. And I'm going to do it. Would you mind informing me just how you're going to murder me? In a very, very horrible way. Yes? You thought I'd die in that prison. You thought I'd never get out. You bribed and lied and swore false oaths and... <laughs> I say, you really should be an actor, my dear fellow. Yes. But I was a convict, a felon, an outcast, for all the best years of my life. And now I'm going to play a new part. And that is? A murderer. Or rather, an executioner. For if ever a man deserved to die, you, Devereaux, are he. And die you shall. Hey, uh, don't forget about the blood. I've got to have lots of blood. Oh, don't worry about that, Devereaux. There will be blood. <laughs> I'm not forgetting about the blood. Uh, don't, don't, don't kill me, please. Don't kill me, Kerrigan. The police will have to break down the locked door to this room. And they'll find you, weltering in your own blood. Alone. And no wonder. Wonder who murdered you. Now, you're going to die. I'm not gonna forget the blood, Devereaux. I'm not forgetting the blood. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Taylor? Hey, Stuart. One dead, locked room. Locked room, huh? Meg called us. Said she hadn't seen Chase for two days. Said the door to his room was locked. We had to break it down. Who is Chase? Mystery writer. Pretty famous. I've read some of his books. Not bad. Well, what else? He must have been working on another book. At least trying to finish it. We found this. Looks like the ending for a book he was working on. Oh, I'll be. <laughs> Listen, I say you shall die, screamed Kerrigan. 
Devereaux writhed in horror as the other's face was thrust into his own. No, 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 he screamed. Devereaux chuckled again. You shall die, he said. Devereaux felt clutching fingers at his throat. He tried to scream again, but it was too late. Great fangs met his throat and the bright blood. Oh my God, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> he sure got a payoff, oh, didn't he? Terrible. <sighs> we found Chase over there behind the chair. Ah, now that is a lot of blood. Yeah. <laughs> Look at his throat all torn out. listening to Reimagined Radio. Our performance tonight is Halloween Fright Night, a curated sampling of frightening episodes from classic old-time radio horror series. Our next act is entitled Murder Castle. In our reimagining sample, you will hear Derek Nolan as Stuart, a man in the business of murder for profit. Audrey Bacon as Ella, a young woman, shy, applying for a job. Ariana Dorenbosch as Betty, Ella's sister, and Ian Hanley as a policeman. Revenge, 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 revenge. I, I tell you, Captain, it, it just revenge. don't make any sense. Revenge. We picked revenge. her up walking down the street saying the same revenge. thing over and over again. She's as crazy as they come, I tell you. I mean, listen to it yourself. Revenge. Hello, may I help you? I, I, I'm looking for a Mr. George Stewart, if you please. Oh, you mean about the advertisement? Yes, that's right. I, I got here as soon as I could, and, and I... That's all right. Come in, come in. Oh, thank you. Just put your suitcase down there. It'll be all right. Thank you. Have a chair, please. You're here in answer to my advertisement for a secretary, right? Yes, sir. I'll do my best, sir. Now then. Uh, your friends know you came here, of course. There's no one very much interested, Mr. Stewart. <laughs> oh, come now. No young beaux and so on and so on. No, sir. There's no one. I, I mean, sir, you can depend on me to give you all my attention to my work. Very commendable indeed. Uh, my work is confidential to a great extent, Sub Rosa. No fuss, no feathers. You understand what I mean. Uh, yes, sir. Well... Shall I show you your room? Yes, Mr. Stewart. You'll find I have quite a place here. Three stories high and every inch of it my own design. Your room is right down this hall. My, my suitcase. No, no, never mind. Bring it up later. No hurry. Yes, sir. Here we are. Nice room for you. Very nice. Uh, right here. There we are. Nice, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's very nice. Go on in. Look around. Well, I, Go right I, ahead. Further in. Look around. It's going to be your room, all yours, for quite some time to come, you know. 
Make sure you like it. I never had such a large room. If you've got one a little smaller... On the contrary, my dear Miss Malone, you'll find this one small enough. Perhaps a little too small. <laughs> yes, indeed, entirely too small. <laughs> but, Mr. Stewart... Shutting the door... Mr. Stewart, why did you... Mr. Stewart, why did you close the door on me? Mr. Stewart? Mr. Stewart, why have you shut me in here? Mr. Stewart, please, please, answer me. Mr. Stewart, please let me out of here. Mr. Stewart, let me out of here. Please, it's getting dark. What? Is this the employment agency? This is Mr. George Stewart. I'm interested in employing a nurse for my child. Someone preferably unattached who can live here with my wife and myself. No, no, just send their names, addresses, and references, and so on. And I'll send you a check for the services. My address is 424 East 7th. Yes, yes, just their names and addresses. Yes, yes, I'll, I'll send you a check. Goodbye. Yes, yes, I'll be there. I'll be there. Yes, yes, uh, what is it? Is Mr. Stewart in? Ah, uh, yes, yes, indeed. Won't you come in? I'm Mr. Stewart. Thank you. You're answering in regard to... A secretarial position. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, please sit down and we'll get better acquainted. Put your suitcase anyplace. Now then, I'm afraid I didn't quite get your name. Ray. Betty Ray. You wrote me? Oh, yes, of course. I, I remember you distinctly. N now then, you're from... Uh... Grayston. I hope that everything is the way you said it would be in your letter, Mr. Stewart. Yes, quite. I'm in definite need of a good secretary. My philanthropy, as you know, and you're unquestionably just the person to take matters in hand. Yes, indeed. I'm glad to hear that. Now then, suppose you tell me a little more about yourself and all that's happened. Mother and father see you off to the train, I suppose? Oh, no, sir. It's the way I wrote you, Mr. Stewart. I'm quite alone. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm sure you'll find everything here quite to your satisfaction. Restful, quiet... I'll show you around, if you like. That'll be very interesting, but first, Mr. Stewart, I was wondering... Yes? Have you had many secretaries, and what happens to them after you hire them? Tell me what happens to them! Young woman, who are you? My name isn't Ray, Mr. Stewart. It's Malone, Betty Malone. Malone? Betty Malone, my sister Ella came here a month ago about a job, and I want to know where she is, you hear me? I want to know where she is! Uh, now then... What makes you so sure? A letter. You wrote her. The first one. I waited a whole month, and then I came here, and as soon as I saw you, I thought something was wrong. And now I know there is. My sister Ella, where is she? You've got to tell me! <laughs> Why do you laugh? Why? <laughs> because you're being a very foolish young lady. There is no need to get excited. 
<laughs> of course your sister's here. Then take me to her, please. Oh, take me to her. All right, all right. No need to get excited. Of course I'll take you to her. <laughs> I intended to all along. Yes, yes, she's right up here. Been with me for over a month. Why didn't she write? Why didn't she tell me? Now then, write in this room and you can ask her that for yourself. All right. Ella? It's Betty. Ella? What? Nothing like a complete understanding now is there. Ella, dead! Oh, it wasn't so difficult. I shut the door, sealed it, <laughs> and nature took care of the rest. Why? You mean, why do I do it? It's a very simple explanation, young woman. This is my business. Business? Yes, yes, my business. Some men make their fortune in stocks, and some in bonds, and some in business. Why? Why is any business conducted? Profit, my dear, and I've made quite a neat little profit. Oh, yes, and a very safe one, too. Ella, my sweet. Yes, there were 30 before you. <laughs> Most interesting array. I used to read the want ads in small town papers, and then I'd write letters. Oh, most interesting letters. I needed a secretary, or a housekeeper, or a nurse. Excellent salary. <laughs> Unusual accommodations. Somehow, Ella, I knew this had happened. Yes, indeed. And they brought all their worldly possessions with them, generally in a suitcase. A little here and a little there. Oh, <laughs> I assure you it has been most profitable. You killed 30 women. Oh, it wasn't difficult. They came here for life and you gave them death. Ah, you're a smart one. That's why I'm even bothering showing you my work. I never did the others. <laughs> and showing you won't do harm. You won't be talking long. A thing like you alive. And 30 women died. Ah, yes. Do you wonder why they'll never find me out? Because I'm much too smart for all of them. Because I figured everything out in order, logically. Oh, not perfect crimes, no, nothing infantile, but just cleverness in choosing the women I do business with and an equal cleverness in doing away with them. Oh, yes, indeed. You and my dearest Ella, dead. Ella, 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 what does she matter? Just another, you've got to listen to me. No one else has ever known it, ever whispered it before and never again. Why speak of Ella when I'm telling you about my cleverness? It isn't right for you to live. You're not the judge of living and dying in this place. I am. Now then, what was I telling you? Oh, yes. Well, they'll never get me. Now, I want to tell you how I did it. Ella, somehow, 
Seeing you like that, it's done things to my head. No corpus delecti, and if there is one, no evidence of violence. There, that's the secret. Were you very frightened, sister? If I could, if I could have only been with you, little sister. You see the door? Ah, airtight, airtight, yes indeed. The room, amazing sight, isn't it? No doors, no windows. If I could have helped you, Ella. Ah, but this is a clever room. I'll shut you up inside with your sister, and then I'll close the door and press this button here, like this. You hear that? You hear that? Pumping, pumping, pumping. And guess what it's pumping? Oh, Ella, Ella, my head! Air! You hear me pumping the air out of the room. Yes, that's clever, isn't it? You breathe, and soon there'll be nothing there to breathe. And then you'll die. And if the police do find your body, no mark of violence, nothing but asphyxiation, a most mysterious death, they'll say. And in time, they'll decide it's all quite natural. Embolism, heart attack. Oh, they'll think up a fancy name to clear their files. Yes, indeed. They always do. It isn't right for him to live, is it, Ella? And now, my dear, I think you'd better step inside. Quickly now, so I can close the door and go about my other work. Quickly, I tell you. No, wait. I want to give you something. What can you give me that doesn't belong to me already? This. Gun. You had a gun in your purse all the time? My father's. I brought it for the man who... Ella... Get in that room! No, no, what? 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 Get in there or I'll pull the trigger. Get in, I'll kill you, I'll... No, 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 don't shoot. I'm an old, harmless man. I was, I was only fooling. I, I wouldn't hurt you, I... Revenge. <laughs> it's right to revenge, isn't it, Ella? <laughs> the pump, it's running, Ella. Listen to it, it's killing him the way he killed you. Right to revenge, isn't it, little sister? <laughs> right to revenge. Right to revenge! 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 Captain, I mean, what, what? Revenge, 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 over and over again. Such, such a young and pretty girl. What could have made her so crazy like that? What? I ask you. Imagined Radio. Our performance tonight is called Halloween Fright Night and features five acts, each sampled from popular old-time horror series. Next, we offer Knock at the Door, 
also known as mother-in-law. Our own reimagined sampling, you will hear Barbara Richardson as Loretta, a wife who hates her mother-in-law. Audrey Bacon as Mrs. Kruger, the mother-in-law. And Freddie, son of Mrs. Kruger and husband of Loretta. Please enjoy our reimagined version of Knock at the Door. Afraid to die, who isn't? When I was just a kid, I used to wake up in the night and see the darkness pressing all around me, and I'd get so scared. I'd think I was dead, buried. I'd try to scream out, and I couldn't. My voice, I'd know I was dead. I'd know it. I'd throw off the cover. I'd, cr I'd cry out, Mother! Mother! Why? Why did I yell out like that? Why should I be scared now? I want to die. I've got to die. It's cold here in the basement. I wonder if the grave is cold. Why don't I get it over with? The rope's around my neck. One step off the ladder and I'll hang and die. I've got to die. I've got to die. The wages of sin are death. The wages of sin are death. Funny how I seem to hear the words the way my father used to say them. The wages of sin. But what is sin? No, it was hate. I killed her because I hated her. I remember the first time we met. Freddie had just married me, and we were walking along Elm Street to his house. You and Ma get along just fine. <laughs> Will this be a surprise to her? Well, here's the house. What do you think of it? It's... it's all right. <laughs> well, in we go. <laughs> Will Ma's eyes pop when she sees you? Hey, Ma! Ma, come on, Ma, open up! I got a surprise for you. Freddie, where have you been, son? What? Oh. <laughs> he surprised Emma. Meet Loretta. Freddy, you've brought home a woman. When she said it that way, right from that minute, I knew I hated her. And that's the way it was from then on. I wasn't Freddy's wife to her. I was a woman, a stranger in her house. And it was her house and everything in it. Nothing Freddy's, everything hers. That's the way it was. Hers. Hers. Hers! Everything hers! All I had was Freddy, and he wasn't much. You can't blame me, you hear me? You can't blame me for not standing it. All my life I had nothing, and at last I was married and I still had nothing. Her house, her car, her money, her son. I couldn't stand it, I tell you. So I killed her. called me, Loretta? Yes, Mrs. Kruger, I called you. What's the matter? Somebody took the lid off the well down here. Lamb sakes alive, now who could have done that? Heavy iron cover like that. Freddy wouldn't have done it. Is it deep down there? Oh, look! <laughs> down in the well, look! I, I don't see nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Your well, isn't it, Ma? Ma? Your well. Everything's yours. So stay in it. Say, Loretta, where's Ma? 
I don't know. She wasn't here when I got back from the store. Must have gone out. Oh. <laughs> well, she'll be back. Leave it to Ma. But she didn't come back. How could she? Freddie went to the police. They came round, they asked questions, they went away, and nothing happened. It was as easy as that. Freddie was a different story. Always talking about her, morning and night. Mama this and Mama that. Mama always did it this way and that way. I tell you, he made me just sick just to look at him. Mama, Mama! I wanted to forget. Forget, forget! And how could I forget with his fat lips saying, Mama, Mama, Mama! And then one day I got an idea. There was more room under the iron lid in the basement, wasn't there? That was it, yes. That was it. Got free of her. Now I'd get free of him. Sell the house quick. Get out. Away. Far away. Yes, that was it. A free woman with my looks and all that money. <laughs> Would I have a time? I planned everything. Told the neighbors Freddie was going on a trip. Yeah, a long trip. Give me time to sell everything. Oh, I planned it good. I'd say Freddie'd written me to sell the place and I'd join him out of town. Oh, I tell you, it was perfect. He came home that night, the night I was going to let him join his mama. I got a new detective agency working on the case. I think maybe she lost her memory somehow. You know, like you read about? Sit down and eat your supper. You'll find your mama. You think so, Loretta? Sure. He sat down to eat. I made him a good supper. Why not? His last supper. And then it happened. We were sitting there eating when there was a knocking at the basement door. Somebody knocking at the basement door? What's going on? I, I gotta see. No, Freddie. Leave the door closed. <gasps> Mama! Mama! Yeah, it was her, all right. Eyes glaring, dirty gray hair, old plastered wet around her face, standing there. I couldn't see her with my own eyes, and yet she was dead, I tell you, dead! 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 Freddie didn't know that, no, he took the dead thing by the arm and he led her into the room and he sat her down in a chair. Oh, Mama, Mama! You did come back. I knew you would. We both knew we would, uh, didn't we, Loretta? Now tell us, Mama, where you been? Why'd you go? And why come back this funny way, the, the back way up the basement steps? Why, Mama? I... 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 Oh, Mama, you're sick. Oh, Loretta, look, she's dripping wet. And it ain't rained in days. Come on, Mama. I'll take you upstairs and put you to bed. Freddie put his mama into her bed and we got into our own. I fell dead asleep. Didn't wake up till the next morning. Freddie was leaving for work. He told me his mama was sleeping in her room. Told me to take good care of her when she woke up. Then he went away. Happy his mama was back. When he was gone, I sat there in the bed and I thought about what to do. I had to know. I tell you, I had to. I went to her bedroom. Nobody there. The bed not even slept in. She'd never been there, never. I dreamt it. Freddie dreamt it. <laughs> she wasn't there. She hadn't come back, but I had to be sure. I went down into the basement and I pried up that old iron lid. There was the open well. I lit a lantern and held it in the black hole. I looked in. She was there, floating in the water like a big, fat, ugh. But she was still there, and that's all that mattered. 
Then I started feeling my sense of control running out of me like the cold well water would run out of mama if I hauled her out. Make me crazy. Crazy. Something to be locked away like they locked away my own mother. Crazy. 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 No, that wouldn't happen to me. She wouldn't make me crazy. Not me. Oh, I knew how to cheat her. The sure way. The only way. That's why I'm here now. The rope around my neck. The other end tied to the cross beam. I'll jump off this ladder. The rope will stretch and I'll be dead. Dead. And she'll never get me crazy. Still thundering. If I make a noise as I choke, nobody will hear me. And I'll die. And I'll never see her again. Mother died crazy, but I'll die sane. You hear me? Sane. Sane! Why don't I do it now? There isn't much time. Freddy and the doctor will be coming back. I've got to be dead then. Good and dead, or they'll find out the truth about her. Why don't I do it now? Step off the ladder. It'll be over quick. I know it will. The rope will tighten quick. I hardly know what happened. Why don't I do it? Because I'm afraid. Afraid of dying. Terribly afraid. That's why I've been talking here in the dark. Because I'm afraid. Afraid to die. There'll just be nothing when I'm dead. And I'm afraid of that nothing. I've always been afraid of it. When I was a kid, and now, it'll be so dark, empty. Things will go on, the world, and I'll have nothing but the dark. Why should I die? Yeah, why should I? If I left this house, she wouldn't follow me, would she? That's all she wants, the house, her Freddy. Well, she can have him, and I'll go. I'll go right away, far away. They'll never find me, never. <clears throat> the rope, so tight around my neck. Gotta get it off. Gotta hurry and get away before Freddy and the doctor. Can't get the rope off. Who, who's there? Who's coming down the steps? Is that you, Freddy? <gasps> you. You followed me down. How could you? I locked the door, but I put the iron lid over you too, didn't I? And it didn't do much good. Listen, I'll go away. You hear me? I'll go away. This will be your house and everything in it. Hear me? All yours again. And Freddy, I I'll leave him too. I won't take anything with me. I'll just go right away, out to the rain. And if I do that, if I never come back, that'll make everything all right, won't it? No. You don't have to answer. I know it's all right with you. <laughs> You see, I was going to kill myself, still standing up here, rope around my neck. But I won't have to do that now, will I? As long as I'm going away. Get the rope off. I'll go. You'll see me go. Um, made the noose so tight I can't seem to. Mrs. Kruger, what are you going to do? No. No. Stay away. Stay away, I tell you. Don't come closer. I can't stand you coming closer. Stay away. Don't push me. Ah! No. No. You won't make me die. I gotta hold on the rope with my hands. I won't choke this way. You see, you thing, I won't choke. I'll live. I'll hold on to the rope and I'll live. I don't want to die. I can't die. It isn't right to die. They'll think I killed myself. This isn't right, I tell you. You can't kill yourself. That's a sin. I know that now. I know it. I'll live. My, my arms are strong. 
I can hold on to the rope up at my head for a long time. But he'll be home right away. He'll get me down. I'll live. I will. He'll still be dead. Dead! Oh, I'll tell them you fell in the well. They'll believe me. Yeah, yeah, they'll believe me. Well, well say something. Say something! I, I know you're standing there watching me. Yeah. You're waiting, waiting for my arms to get tired. So I'll let go, but I won't let go. I won't, I won't. Freddie will be home. He'll be home before, got to hold on. I will hold on. Can't let go, can't hang. Got to live, got to live. Oh, my arms, so tight. Gotta hold on. Gotta hold on to the noose, the noose. Ah, oh, ah, oh, cramp in my arm. Freddy, Freddy, hurry, cramp in my arm. I can't hold on anymore, Freddy, hurry. I wouldn't have killed you, Freddy, Freddy. Freddy, I can't hold on. to Reimagined Radio, where we're sampling tonight from classic old-time radio series, each reimagined to wrap you in a deliciously chilling blanket of fright and send a skitter of horror up your spine. Act four, the thing on the forble board, still causes people to look twice when they see moving shadows. In our reimagined presentation, you will hear Larry Taylor as Porky, an oil field roughneck, and Ian Hanley as Billy, the geologist. Come in, come in. Have a seat, be comfortable. Oh, you have to meet my wife. Hey, Mike! Oh, her name's Maxine, but uh, she likes to be called Mike. Mike! Mike! Uh, well, uh, I guess she's busy out in the kitchen someplace. Besides, she doesn't hear very well. Shame, too. She's so pretty and everything. Well, you'll meet her. Sit down. I'll tell you about myself. See, I was a, a roughneck. Guy on an oil drilling crew. <laughs> I don't think there's an oil man in the world that don't wonder one time or another what's down there, besides rock and oil and gas. Oil that's made out of trees that died 20 million years ago. Oil that's made out of dinosaur bones. <laughs> oil that's maybe made out of the flesh and blood of men, maybe. That beat each other to death with a stone axe. Eat saber-toothed tiger for lunch. <laughs> yeah, you get to wondering. You look at the cores that come up from way down there, and sometimes there's little shells, trilobites mostly, that, that was alive when Manhattan Island, where New York is, was under a mile and a half ice. We found something once, me and Billy Grunwald, and something found us. I'll tell you about it. We'd been coring just before, and we... Oh, well, you see, a, a core drill is hollow. As the bit digs down, it stuffs the drillings up inside it, so when you pull it out, you get a sample of the kind of stuff you're going through. And a geologist can tell a lot from that. So there's nobody around the rig except me and Billy Grunwald, the geologist, that night. 
The rest of the crew's gone down into town, and we were talking. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny about that water. Hmm? How's that? Uh, well, oughtn't to be any at that level, according to my figuring. Yeah, well, there is. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, <laughs> you never can tell what's down there. <laughs> you get all mapped. You get it all plotted out, all the strata, and then all you know is what comes out of the hole. <laughs> um, where is the core from this, the, that hole right there? Uh, it's behind you, over there. Yeah. What? 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 Hey. hey, wait a minute, Porky. Well, what? Oh, what's eating you? You know, I swore there's somebody up there on top of that formal board. <laughs> You're crazy. There's nobody up there. Oh, standing against the drill stands on that former board up there in the drill pipe. Uh, they're just rat crooked. One of them slipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess so. <laughs> Only, you know, uh, I... What you're so jittery about, Billy? Well, I just, you know, I just... I guess I'm just naturally that way, I guess, uh... I'm always scared of the dark, <laughs> doggone it. I, I hate to be a baby, but I, but I can't help it. I mean, <laughs> scared of the dark, huh? Yes. Honest? <laughs> Stupid, ain't it? I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Everybody's scared of something. Now, me, spiders scare the tar out of me. Black widows. <laughs> I know how you feel, Billy. Yeah, well, I'll take a look at that core sample. Okay, kid, okay. So, I sat and thought about Billy Grunwald and him being scared of the dark. How could he think there was somebody up there on the forbel board? I'm sure I looked up. Wasn't a darn thing up there. Except the drill pipe racked against the fingerboard. Oh, this, uh, this forbel board. Well, you've seen an oil derricks or pictures of them. You know that little platform runs around the outside of the derrick about halfway up? Well, that's the forbel board. You see, uh, the drill pipe comes in lengths, and you handle them with several lengths screwed together so as to save time getting them in and out of the hole. Two lengths is a double, three is a treble, and four is a forble. And when you pull the pipe, you, you hoist it up inside the derrick with a traveling block, which moves up and down from the crown block at the top of the derrick. Then the traveling block swings it over against the fingerboard and leans it against the derrick. The guy up on the forble board takes off the traveling block, and you do it over and over again until you got all the pipe up. You see? Well, there wasn't anybody up on the forbo board, except a screech owl, and, and it flew away. <laughs> What's the matter? What's the matter, Billy? Hey, hey, come here. Look here. Well, well, what is it? Just, just look, Porky. Say, where'd you find that? Now, listen, Porky. I give you my word. That was embedded in the core. Oh, why it couldn't be. I, I tell you, it was. L look where I dug it out. Uh, do you know what? Uh, that rock there comes from a mile underground. And it has been a mile underground for a million years. Man, look at this. And I did look. And what he was holding was a gold ring. And it was all carved and filigree, just like jewelry. And there wasn't any kidding about it. It was real. Billy put the ring on his left little finger, and we both admired it some more. Now, 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 wait a minute. Hang on, I ain't done. 
I poked at the coral rock that looked like a, a, a kind of a, a petrified salami or something. Then it was my turn to pretty near jump out of my pants. Because right alongside the place where Billy dug out the ring, there was a mud-covered but very unmistakable finger. I picked it up, and it was cold, and it was heavy, and it was solid rock. At least it felt like solid rock. And I looked at Billy, and Billy looked at me, and he started to rub the mud off this here stone finger. And as he rubbed it, it had begun to disappear. No, he could, he could still feel it, he said, but, but when the mud was gone, neither one of us could see it. And he dropped it to the derrick floor. It went clunk, and we couldn't find it any place. Then we sat down on the derrick floor, and we just looked at each other. Didn't say a word. My eyes got heavy. Last thing I remember was I heard some kind of noise that seemed to be coming from... Well, the forbo board, 80 feet above us. I shut my eyes a minute. I guess I went to sleep. And I had, had awful dreams. Black widow spiders crawling all over me with gold rings on their legs. Things I could hear, but I couldn't see up on the forbo board. Billy Grunwald climbing up the ladder outside the derrick in the moonlight. Faces looking at me. I couldn't figure out who they were. And then I was waked up by a horrible scream, a crash alongside me that, that shook the whole derrick. I opened my eyes to see Billy Grunwald lying on the floor two feet away with a broken neck. And his left little finger and the ring were gone. Well, friend, I got out of there. I run down to where Billy left his car and I got in. And I remembered that Billy had the key. I wasn't going up there and go through a dead man's clothes to get it, so I, I just sat there in the car, shivered all by myself till daylight. In the morning, Ted and the crew came back. Afterwards, a state cop and everybody in the world was asking me questions. Billy's death was an accident, they said, so we all got back to work, and I went up to the Forbo board. So, okay, I go up on the Forbo board, and, and you can bet I took a good gander around before I did anything else. I couldn't see a thing. So I signaled to the driller to let down the traveling block, and he did. Came sailing down from up above. I was just reaching for it to pick up the first Forbo drill pipe. It gave a big jerk and the cable broke and dropped it and nearly pulled me off the forbaboard. That traveling block was right in front of my face when it broke loose. It was hanging by a steel cable, three-quarter inch steel cable. And I saw that cable break right before my eyes. It looked just like a piece of string when you snap it between your fingers. I could almost see the fingers. <laughs> And it landed right on top of Ted. And if you have any idea what a guy looks like after two tons of metal land on him from 80 feet up, you keep your ideas to yourself. Well, that was enough. Two accidents in a row. The whole crew quit. They, they wasn't going to wait around for a third, and it was Ted's money that was paying off. 
There wasn't any more. We all went home. So a couple days later, I come back. I don't know if there's anything in the world as desolate, as dismal, as dead looking as an abandoned oil well rig. I sat in my car for a good long time looking at it. Everything was just the way we left it. The smashed traveling block was there on the floor alongside the rotary table. There was a little mutter of steam from the boiler and that was all. And then I heard a, a tinkle of something as it hit the ground alongside me. I looked around. There wasn't a soul in sight, but, but at my feet was the gold ring that Billy Grunewald and I had found in the core of rock that come up from a mile underground from a million years ago in time. And I heard a little sound. The sound of a, a kid crying. There wasn't any kid up there. But I heard it. I heard it over and over from above my head and and then I took out my revolver, and I loaded it carefully. I started up the ladder to the forward board, where there wasn't anything up there, and nothing I could see. There was a voice, a voice crying, the voice of a little kid. And there was a movement behind the rack of drill pipes, and I saw the pipe move, and I yelled, Come out of there, whoever you are! Come out, or I'll start shooting! Then the stand of pipes shivered, and I thought, what can be that can handle a heavy pipe like, like jack straws? Then the whole pipe fell over. And I just got out of the way just in time. And I was alone on the forbore board with, with a thing. I couldn't see it. I felt the platform tremble under my feet again as something moved toward me. I fired at it with my revolver. And nothing happened. I started backwards. I knew it was following me because I could hear it meowing like a cat. My feet tripped over something. I saw it was a big can of a red lead that somebody had left up there. Without thinking, I threw it up the sound and it splashed. And there it was. The face of a little girl, frightened, crying with hunger and terror, hands like a human being and a, and a finger missing from the left hand, and a body. Well, I told you how I'm scared of spiders, but I knew where it came from. It come up from the bowels of the earth, come riding up on the drill pipe as we yanked it out of the well, come to an alien world and was lost. I stood there, dripping with red paint, blood red from head to foot like some horrible dream. And it put its hands on my arm. Its hands were like stone, living, moving stone. And it looked in my eyes and mewed like a lost kitten. Well, that was 20 years ago. I discovered many things about it since then what it used for food, that it was deaf, that it was invisible, couldn't see people when it was invisible, that if you sprayed it with mud or paint or grease paint, makeup, then it could see people. 
And believe me, I, I didn't want to see its body. I can see that in my nightmares. But its face. I can't help wanting to see that pathetic little girl face. Uh, I'm afraid maybe I've fallen. But it's very beautiful. And when it's well made up, it's... Well, I can disguise the body in long dresses. But she can't hear very well, and, and when she's hungry, I have to stay out of her way. I found out what she likes to eat, remember? No, 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 sit still. Sit still! Sit still or I'll have to shoot you. I want you to meet my wife. Or rather, my wife wants to meet you. Mike? Mike? <laughs> there she is. Come on in, dear. Time for dinner. No! no. <laughs> this is Reimagined Radio, live from Kiggins Theater in downtown Vancouver, Washington. Tonight we are presenting Halloween Fright Night, five acts sampled from classic horror radio dramas. Our final act of the evening is one that perhaps you have heard of, Chicken Heart by Arch Obler. In our reimagined presentation of this episode, you will hear Derek Nolan as Dr. Alberts, a research scientist, Ariana Dorenbosch as an intern, Audrey Bacon as Mrs. John C. Halep, an obnoxious society woman, Ian Hanley as a fire department captain, and Barbara Richardson as the mayor who wants to drop bombs first and ask questions later. What is it? They're here, sir. The tour group, sir. They want you to show them the mechanical heart, sir. Uh, mechanical heart? Why is it the minute a tour group comes into the Keegan's Institute for Paraphysical Research, right away the first thing they must see is the mechanical heart? Well, sir, after all, the idea of a heart beating away and having life outside of a body is rather intriguing. Yeah, yeah, but this is an institute of research, not a sideshow. But come along. You will see me in my role as Sideshow Barker, raising money for the Institute. Come along. Dr. Alberts, I'm Mrs. John C. Haller, H-A-L-O-P, chairwoman of the Ladies' Auxiliary Committee for the Advancement of Scientific Inquiry, already. The ladies are simply dying to hear your masterfully exposition of the mechanical heart, or whatever you call it. Well, ladies, it is uh, right here. If you will step closer and look where I point, you will see inside of this quartz container is the isolated chicken heart. Oh, my Ooh. goodness. It really looks like a chicken heart. Isn't it fascinating? Yes. The chicken to whom this heart was a vital organ is dead already for 17 months. But here, in this apparatus, a modification of the robot heart developed by Lindbergh and Carroll, this heart has gone on an independent existence 
beating away as if it was still a part of a living fowl. Can you imagine that? Unbelievable. But dear Dr. Alberts, that chicken heart isn't really living and beating in there, is it? Most definitely. I will put the stethoscope against the chamber. You will hear. So, now listen. Why, that's amazing, Doctor. Here, let me get a closer look so I can hear more clearly. No, please, uh, be careful. Don't crowd in so. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, the apparatus, <laughs> you will please be careful. It's not a big Madam, deal. please. The instruments, I, they are delicate. I'm not going back. You will break. Close. I look out! <laughs> Experiment ruined. <laughs> well, Dr. Alberts, I I didn't mean I guess I, I didn't mean to harm anything. I... Get out of here. But doctor. Get out of here. Get out. You have ruined months of work. Months of work. See, the apparatus broken, the heart stopped, everything ruined. Get out. Get out! What's the matter? Oh, Dr. Alberts, come quickly, quickly! Quickly there. What's the matter with you? Is there a fire or something? Speak up, it's what? You remember you sent me to clean up those mess that, that the women left? Well? I, I well, can't open the door. I, I just can't. If you cannot open the door, why bother me? Call the janitor. What's the matter with you? No, no, Dr. Alberts, you've got to come with me. It's, it's something else, something terrible. The corridor is full of the odor of it, and you can hear it. You can hear it through the door. Oh, come, come, Dr. Alberts, please, please see for yourself. All right, all right, I'll go with you. Unbelievable. It is the chicken heart. The original heart, no larger than my thumbnail, now a mass of pulsing flesh, a thousand times its original size, big as a chair, pulsing, pulsing. But how, Professor? How did this happen and why? Here is a possibility. When that woman knocked over the apparatus, it fell against a rack of chemicals. Is it not possible that some unknown combination of those reagents acting upon the tissue resulted in the super growth of this heart, this independent existence of an organ outside its own bodily environment? But this is incredible. Hyperplasia of tissues at so rapid a rate, it cannot be. But how can it grow like that, Professor? Just a mass of flesh, what is it growing on, what? Look, look, from the center of it. A tentacle of flesh, pseudopod, like from a superorganism, reaching out. What is it reaching for? Groping, groping along the floor. Dr. Atkins, stand back. It might. Look out! Atkins, it's crawling around, Dr. Atkins! It sucked him in. Look out! Another one, another tentacle! Run! Run for your lives! Run! But 
Captain, Captain, you must believe me. I tell you, the only hope is to burn the building to the ground at once. Uh, now, now, just wait a minute. Uh, take it easy. I tell you, burn it to the ground. It is the only hope, believe me, it is. That tissue is undergoing constant mitosis. It is proliferating oh, so rapidly that it has choked the building with living flesh. Burn, I tell you. Oh, all right, now, now, now take it easy. I, I tell you, just, 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 you just take it easy. And um, this, all this doesn't make any sense. And I, I tell you, it, it, it don't make sense. You dumb fool. There's no time to waste. Now, now wait a minute. There <laughs> is no minute. There is no second. This thing must be destroyed now while it is confined. Oh, don't you understand? For some reason, I cannot even imagine. This tissue is doubling in size every hour. Do you know what that means, you dumb fool, you? In another hour, it will be twice the size it is now. And long before that, it will break open the building with the force of its pressure. Uh, wait, wait, what, what's that now? Yes, yes. Pressure of the growing flesh will thrust the building aside as if it were paper. And then it will be free in the street. You hear me? Free in the street! And then the pseudopods, those tentacles of protoplasm stretching out. It lives on human flesh. You hear me? On flesh. That building must be burned and the crowds must be kept back. Further back, I tell you. Further back or else. Hey, hey, hey. Well, wait, wait. What is that? What's that? The building. What? See, the ball is cracking. I warned you. I warned you. All right. Uh, get back, everybody. Uh, just... As mayor of the city, no one realizes more than I the necessity of immediate action in curbing this unspeakable, unbelievable calamity which has fallen on us. That thing, whatever it is, has sucked in 50 people so far and is now the size of a city block. Dr. Alberts is with us now. Perhaps he can tell us how to solve this problem. What is it, doctor? Tell us first what the monster really is. Yes, I will tell you. That great, ever-growing mass of flesh, it is, or it was, a chicken heart. Chicken heart? <laughs> Are you crazy, man? <laughs> yes, yes. Chicken heart, I tell you. Chicken heart. Listen to me, you fools. Listen, listen. I tell you, that mass of flesh was a chicken heart, the tissue of which, for some reason, a mystery of science, is undergoing constant, rapid, accelerating growth. With each passing hour, its growth is doubling. Do you know what that means, you fools? If it is now one block in size, within 30 hours, that cannibal flesh will have increased in size to the 30th power. In 30 hours, every inch of this whole city will be crushed under that moving flesh. Within 60 hours, it will have covered the entire state. Within two weeks, the entire United States. It is like a gray blanket of evil covering everything. There is no hope, I tell you. None. It grows like a mathematical progression. Faster, faster, greater, greater. There is no hope. There is no place to escape. We, we can do nothing. It is like telling the ocean to go back. Oh, it is a joke. A great joke. The joke of the cosmos. The 
end of mankind because of a chicken's heart. Well, I don't believe that, Professor Alberts. We have the entire military force of this country at our disposal. Are you telling me that they cannot drop enough bombs or poison gas to kill that chicken heart? No hope. It will be the same as bombing the ocean. The flesh will go on and on. It is too late. Nonsense. I say call out the military. Blast this thing off the earth. It's the only way to save the earth. That's our show for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And on behalf of the cast and crew, I hope you've enjoyed our Halloween Fright Night presentation. Let me introduce everyone to you while you thank them with a good round of applause. Tonight you heard Audrey Bacon, Ariana Dorenbosch, Ian Hanley, Barbara Richardson, Derek Nolan, and Larry Taylor. Dean Lyon created live sound effects for you tonight. Our special guest creating unique and wonderful sound effects was Matt Brislon, who is tonight celebrating his birthday. Happy birthday, Matt, and many thanks for your involvement. I'm John Barber, producer and sometimes director of Reimagined Radio, and our performance tonight has come to you live from the historic Higgins Theater in the heart of the Arts District in downtown Vancouver, Washington, USA. Our partner, KXRW, Vancouver's independent radio station, provided live streaming of tonight's performance all across the internet. Thank you also for joining us tonight for this evening of storytelling. Join us next month for In Flight with D.B. Cooper as we reimagine a conversation D.B. Cooper might have had in his hijacked airplane before he jumped out of the back into a dark and stormy night over southwest Washington and into local legend and international fame. That's Wednesday evening, 27 November, 2019. Doors open at 6, performance at 7. Appropriate D.B. Cooper attire is appreciated. In December, we invite you to share our holiday classic, A Christmas Carol. Tickets are available online through the Kiggins website or at the door at the night of the performance. Good night, everyone, and thank you for joining us tonight. This has been Reimagined Radio with our performance of Halloween Fright Night.
Chauncey Haworth, Mark Slade, and Lothar Tuppen. The demented minds behind the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour bring you... Twisted Pulp Magazine. A journey beyond surreality to worlds you never knew or hoped existed. Worlds of the supernatural. Worlds of dark satire. Worlds of nightmarish futures. Twisted Pulp Magazine. If you thought the 21st century was weird enough already, think again. Twisted Pulp Magazine. A step beyond your grandfather's pulp. Available at digitalvaudeville.com. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L-V-A-U-D-E-V-I-L-L-E dot com. (laughs) 